Welcome to episode 22 of the Breastfeeding Talk podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Kinster, IBCLC, and I have my first IBCLC guest with us today, Maxine Robinson. Maxine is an absolute powerhouse. I cannot believe how much I learned from her in this interview. I knew it was going to be incredible, and that's why I invited her on. But the conversation goes so deep. In fact, I really just let Maxine sort of take the wheel and just run with it and talk. And I didn't ask her a ton of questions because she answered uh, really every question I could have even thought to ask her and then some. And why this episode is so important is because Maxine is an African-American woman, and she's sharing her experience as an African-American woman and mother and healthcare professional who is helping all women in her community, but especially people of color. And she's contributing to the field of lactation and breastfeeding in some very, very powerful ways. So this is an amazing episode for you to listen to if you are any kind of healthcare professional, if you're also a lactation consultant. But even if you're not, even if you're just a breastfeeding mom, what I would love for this uh, episode to do for you is for you to walk away with a newfound understanding and compassion about the challenges that black people have, especially black women and black mothers in the healthcare system with breastfeeding, with formula marketing, and so many other things, uh, you know, really around this topic. Uh, It was very, very enlightening. And today I'm releasing this episode on Juneteenth, Juneteenth, 2020. And if you don't know what Juneteenth is, you know, you can absolutely just, you know, go online and, and read some more about this or ask, ask some friends who are maybe a little more knowledgeable than you. But basically, this is the day that slavery was abolished in the United States. And I feel like today is a really, really appropriate episode or today. <laughs> today is a really appropriate day to release this particular episode. And no, I'm not going to edit that mistake out. Uh, and so really, I want you to take this episode to heart. If you're one of those people out there who is wanting to educate yourself more about what's going on in the black community, Maxine is here to tell you from firsthand experience what is actually going on. And I think she has a really incredible perspective. I feel like she's a very, very empowering person. And, uh, you know, I have all of her information linked up in the show notes. If you want to work with her or get to know her more, just follow her on social media. She's absolutely incredible, and I think she's got some amazing things to offer the world, and anyone who gets the opportunity to work with her is going to have an absolutely life-changing experience. So without further ado, here's my interview with Maxine Robinson. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Hello, Maxine. Welcome to the Breastfeeding Talk podcast. I am so excited to have you on here. Uh, I think you're actually the first other lactation consultant that I've had on the podcast, and I I have a list of people that I want to bring on, but I'm super excited to have you here, and I would love for you to just introduce yourself to the listeners since they don't know who you are yet. 
So hello, my name is Maxine Robinson. I am a internationally board certified lactation consultant based in Washington, D.C. Um, I have been doing breastfeeding education for about nine years now. And uh, through that time, I've been able to work mother to mother support groups and uh, at home visitations, uh, hospital side uh, visitations, um, but also able to create curriculum and uh, teach young girls as well. So that's kind of my background. I have a very long background in health education, but um, right now it's lactation consultations. I'm doing virtual consultations and just making sure that um, the population of, of African-American women are able to get some, some really vital information. So that's who I am. Yeah, no, awesome. I'm so honored just to have you because you're doing such important work in your community and also outside of that with the virtual consultations. And, you know, one of the reasons why I invited Maxine on the podcast was not because, uh, you know, not just because she's an IBCLC and I wanted to bring someone else on, but because she is an African-American mother, woman, and lactation consultant. And, you know, one of the things I've been made aware of and trying to get myself more education on is you know, one that there's a lack of representation in the lactation consultant community uh, with you know african-american women working as ibclcs and also just trying to provide you know cultural support to them and you know with the whole black lives matter protests and movements that have been so powerful and already making some pretty substantial changes, there's still so much work left to do. And I wanted to bring a focus, you know, from that movement onto specifically, you know, black and African-American women and their breastfeeding and get, getting that kind of support. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on Maxine, as you know, and so I just want to let our listeners know that. And I would love to hear, you know, I, maybe we could start with even just talking a little bit about the history behind why, you know, from your perspective, why do we see African-American mothers struggling so much more with not, I mean, even just health issues and, and health outcomes, but breastfeeding, you know, um, childbirth, things like that. Everything. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you kind of tied it all together because um, in the, in our community, it is a, a wide and broader issue than just breastfeeding and breastfeeding then is a trickle-down effect of all these dis different systems and history and reasons why either uh, Black women aren't getting the information or they're not getting the support that they need or, um, you know, it's just uh, myths and misconceptions about breastfeeding. So I'll give you a little bit of background about myself because what that does is it gives an overview as to how all of this comes into part. So I'm from Queens, New York. And um, I grew up in an environment where it was largely African-American. And uh, my mom talked to me about breastfeeding, but it kind of was muddled a little bit with, you know, your cycle and what to expect. And so uh, the reproductive health portion of this really intrigued me. Um, I ended up going to North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. It's a historically black college and university. Um, at that time, I didn't even know they had these things. So I, I grew up in a relatively middle class, you know, well, two-parent household. My father went to the school, but it never was uh, told to me how these systems came to be. How did we have an historically black college? Why did we need that? And so going to the school, I got some more history. I learned about why 
you know, the school was one of the first schools for Negroes, that we weren't able to be educated alongside of whites, even though at the time, you know, it was uh, segregation and we were getting our rights and it was slowly coming apart. These universities were very integral in our community. And so um, after being at that school, I majored in health education. My focus was reproductive health. Uh, I was passing out condoms on campus. I was, you know, doing different kind of uh, interventions and community support. Um, at that time, I had no kids. I wasn't married. And so this was a chance that I can target a population of my peers, and I was able to give them positive health education. Um, and so from there, it kind of trickled out into all these different jobs and things that interest me based upon my experiences. And so I, I ended up uh, working at a health education center in Raleigh. Uh, I ended up working at the American uh, Social Health Association, answering phone calls all day long about STDs and herpes. Um, then from there, I ended up at Planned Parenthood, which was kind of like a dream job for a reproductive health educator. Um, at this time, this was my first introduction to reproductive health in women, uh, the vast uh, issues that we may have and how things are solved within our community of women, regardless of race. Um, and so these things were commonalities. And so it was really, really intriguing to have a job there, but I'm still educating. I'm now doing pregnancy counseling and I'm, I'm informing women now that they're pregnant. And so now this is a whole nother ballgame. I'm still 20 something years old, not married, no children. And um, I'm having this discussion constantly over and over again. During this time, during these many, many years of health education, I never brought up the breast. I mean, I, I, they coincide and they made sense, but um, it was more so a uh, discussion about reproductive health. And so from Planned Parenthood, then I was able to move to DC. I got married. I worked at an HIV nonprofit targeting African-American women um, and specifically working with women. And that kind of opened my eyes to the, the needs that we have. We think about feeding our children, and being with our children and our children are going to be with us and any programming that you have has to incorporate that that you're going to have to feed somebody and they're going to have their kids especially if you're working with women that was integral in what i needed to do now that i got married and then i started having children and so i've been breastfeeding and birthing for about a decade now <laughs> and um <laughs> during that time um i was introduced to breastfeeding and it was kind of abrupt like whoa you have to feed this person now that you birth them and um, i'm exhausted and where is this coming from and how does this work and so it was something relatively new i would say that with my first son i didn't receive uh that the best breastfeeding information i may not have been as encouraged and really pushed to breastfeed it kind of was in my decision and i think also that you know, the opportunities to receive WIC, uh, women and infants uh, nutrition, and then also other, you know, supports, that those supports were heavily driven by formula. And I wanted to know what this was. I tasted formula. I wanted to know what it tasted like. I had this kid and I wanted to blend things and I was intelligent about what, you know, nutrition does and that first milk. And I started getting really, really intrigued. Um, I then went uh, at 32 weeks pregnant with my second son. I went to Pennsylvania and got my CLC. Um, I was the only woman of color of, in the whole entire class. I had a woman touch my hair in that class. Like, oh, that wow. was, it was kind of like, whoa. And then when I, I saw who was being trained and some of the 
uh, maybe biases that they may have had or their own particular uh, shelter from, you know, other inequities of other races. I was concerned. I was concerned because I was like, if I, if I was to send my sister to this lactation consultant, would this lactation consultant really give her the information that she needed? Would she really empower her to let her know that she is doing the best thing and even give her some, you know, really beneficial information that could kind of encourage and promote breastfeeding even more. And so that was my driven force. From there, I ended up getting a job at our local hospital here. Um, and I was able to man their warm line. I was answering calls all day long about breastfeeding, about pumps. This was in the time when insurance companies weren't covering breast pumps. Um, and so I have lactation consultants who want, I mean, consultations that patients were looking to cover. So I'm talking and negotiating with insurance companies. Um, and it really opened my eyes. Of course, I'm birthing multiple children at this time. So I'm just having babies and babies and they're just coming and coming. And so um, <laughs> they just were just coming and coming and coming. I figured out how to have a baby. And so I, I, I did pretty well. But anyway, um, so I'm answering these calls. I'm, I'm supporting their mother support group, which grew substantially during the time that I was there. And I'm building up these hours, right? And I'm looking at these pathways to figure out how can I become an IBCLC. During this time, I'm also sitting in the office. I'm the breastfeeding educator in a hospital, and I'm sitting in an office with other lactation consultants who come to do their rounds, to come to give report. And so I'm listening to what these reports, and this is every single day. And I'm like, wow, I see emphasis in encouraging breastfeeding with a certain population than I do with others. And I see uh, hesitation and even bias when it comes to maybe young mothers or mothers that are non-white or you know non non-english speaking mothers i see this and so i'm gaining all this information and then finally through one of our uh breastfeeding coalitions here in dc they sent me to ohio to work under linda smith and linda smith is one of these founding um you know heads of the breastfeeding world and so she writes a lot of the lactation books reviews all those things and prep the prep you know for that test um, and so she really understood where I was coming from because she wanted to make sure that some of these biases and some of these um, systematical setups that prevent women from breastfeeding, that encourage women to formula feed or to not breastfeed as long, they exist and they're there. And, and she was really intrigued by my, by my cause. And so I ended up taking her class, getting my 90 hours, and also getting thousands of hours during, um, you know, all these support groups and warm lines and peer-to-peer uh, -peer support that I became an IBCLC. And from there, I had that opportunity to now continue to work with the community and talk to all these women and dads and support people um, to make sure that, you know, breastfeeding was ensured. I had a bright idea because a lot of my teaching before I even got to be a lactation consultant was, uh, puberty uh, information, puberty education, you know, pr pregnancy prevention, HIV prevention. I had the brilliant idea of going, okay, you know what? We're talking to moms too late. We should not be telling a mother at the time of birth that you're going to feed the baby from your breast. <laughs> so that's pretty jarring. Something just came out of our vaginas or we were cut or some way. So we needed to start earlier. And I went back to the high schools. I went back to the teenagers, four babies deep. Um, and it kind of was like, look, girls, this is what's up. Your breasts are kind of connected to your uterus and everything goes hand in hand. Um, you can look cute while breastfeeding. 
Um, and also, I had to learn the history of our culture within this this uh, country when it comes to breastfeeding, um, because there's a lot that goes into it. And so it was making sure that it was specific and culturally appropriate, but also empowering, because um, there are quite a few uh, inequities when it comes to Black women and breastfeeding and why that happens. Now, you know, I had to do research, Jackie, and I was just like, you know, let me make sure that you know, the understanding of why there are inequities is because it really does start from, from the beginning. Um, I had to, I went to CDC back up and they had their breastfeeding report card. You've probably seen it. Um, oh, yeah. and there was, there was some statements that stood out to me and this is something that's known within the community, um, that fewer non-Hispanic black infants, about 74% are, are never, are ever breastfed. Um, compared to non-Hispanic whites, which is about 86%, and even Hispanic infants, it's 82. So the initiation of breastfeeding is not, is not there. Um, but listen to this, even infants that are eligible for EBT and SNAP or WIC are less likely to ever breastfeed. So about 75% of infants that are eligible for these governmental services, they never breastfeed. Um, and then infants who are eligible but maybe don't get with, it goes up to 89%. And then infants that don't even, can't even get any of those things, it's about 92%. And so my introduction into the WIC world and into, you know, supplemental feeding, and then even going higher and looking at, you know, the uh, formula companies and who owns them and how they're distributed to the hospital, baby-friendly hospitals, you know, that was really intriguing because it's systematically set up that way and as a, as a mom who birthed these children, I experienced that. I've had nurses just set a two ounce bottle of formula in my room or just, you know, make a suggestion of supplementation, you know, not really taken into regard that I would like to 100% exclusively breastfeed. And so um, knowing those things, it helps you to deliver a different type of message to the women you're trying to empower and encourage who you already know are marginalized uh, from the get-go of, of starting their, their pregnancy and starting their prenatal care and then getting to postpartum, um, and then the after effects of that as well. So there's all these different factors as to why they stop. And, um, you know, it's our racial biases. We lack support um, from our workplace. And then community support. We have, we don't, we're not taught our history. And so we don't even know the power that we have to know we can give life to our own plus other children and continue to do this and how beneficial that is in the long run for other cancers and different diseases, even from our children to our own selves. So um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Oh my, yeah, it does. <laughs> this is awesome. I just, you know, I, I was hoping, you know, that I could just bring you on and learn so much and, and I already am. And some of the things you said, you know, that is, it is systematic, right? And, and I was just thinking about that as you're talking about, you know, going and studying with Linda, which is amazing. And, and the exam and things. And I was thinking, you know, when I sat for my boards and there's mm -hmm. the whole second half of the test is, is a lot of like case study questions and yeah. photographs and things. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever saw an African-American woman's breast in any of those photos on my exam. And then I think about my books, my textbooks, and you know, I'm not here necessarily to throw authors under the bus, but I think all the breasts in the books are white breasts. And when you're, if you're taught okay, well, this is what mastitis looks like or thrush or whatever, right? Or an inverted nipple or whatever. 
that's great to know what it looks like on a white woman, but maybe I'm not only going to be working with white women, you know? And so I was just thinking about that, like, wow, even my own education, you just made me realize I was not shown women of color. And I'm, I'm in Arizona, so I wouldn't say we have a huge African-American population. We have a huge Hispanic population. And right. so they have their own cultural things that I've had to learn about in order to support them. And there wasn't, it was kind of learning on the job. You know, I didn't really have any specific education on that, even though I'm supposed to have these, you know, cultural competencies as an IBCLC, just like you are. So you're, you're teaching me a lot. And I think what you said about just for the part that you ended with, um, and how, you know, breastfeeding has all these amazing benefits like anti-cancer and things like that. And I kind of mentioned it with my question where we know the African-American community, even with something as current as COVID, that they're having a harder time, right? There, there's, there's worse health outcomes. And overall, if we know that breastfeeding is so good for health, why are we not pushing it, not pushing it, but, you know, investing more in the education for the African-American community on what breastfeeding can do for them to transform and change their health outcomes. If as much as 90 some percent of black mothers are never even initiating breastfeeding, that's a scary number. It is. I'm I'm worried about that. Really worried. I I think that something I was looking at that really stuck out to me was that, you know, I looked up Arizona and I looked up some of their information because there's a higher Hispanic uh, population. And so a lot of the times uh, when it comes to breastfeeding, it is that peer support. And so having mm-hmm. someone who is from the community, who is, yep. you know, understands that for, if you look at the journey of a, a, of a non-white mother going through the health system and even to breastfeeding, more than likely she's experienced uh, white doctors, white nurses, nurses that may write off what they're saying or even you know concerns that they may have. And so just to, to tie that back around, when they get to breastfeeding, here, you know, we don't have representation of African-American lactation consultants or Hispanic lactation consultants who um, can relate on the level of the cultural, uh, you know, things that connect them, then it's really hard to get that information to them. Um, And then also making sure that they understand it. Sometimes we got to check, sometimes we need to check our egos and we need to make sure that we check our own biases because you know, that's very um, interesting, Jackie, because um, have you even touched a black breast? You know, have you even felt or really seen what it looks like? Because mastitis may look completely different in a, a very dark breast or in a breast that is, uh, you know, different parts of it are different colors. And so it's like, you know, right. it's, definitely, it's definitely different. And you know this, the lactation consultant tends to be the first person a mom sees after she has a baby postpartum. And so there's a lot of things we're looking for, even as, you know, knowing some of these cultural uh, factors and, you know, outcomes of of postpartum and maternal health, you know, African-Americans suffer from eclampsia much more at a higher rate. And so when I would, you know, go and do home visits and go to see moms, uh, that's something I'm looking for and making sure that not only with the breastfeeding information, I'm making sure that it's comprehensive as well. Um, and that I'm looking for things that might be signals or concerns when it comes to something that I know specifically affects this culture and this race 
or this group or statistic of people. And so um, I think it's important that it's, it's kind of tied in as a conversation and even acknowledging it as well. I, I, one of my last jobs was at um, this awesome organization called Mama Toto's Village here in DC. Um, and what they do is they work with at-risk moms, they do home visitation, um, and lactation consultants come, doulas come, they come and assess the mom. And I was working with a Muslim community, and she was training her child on how to breastfeed underneath her, um, her covering. And she was training very, very early. And this was new to me. And, I, and she said, I had a child already, very young mom, and um, I know to put coverings over the baby so that when I cover and I breastfeed, it's something that the baby knows and learns. And I'm like, whoa, that was amazing, very good. That's a wisdom that you know we don't have and that we can incorporate in our teachings with this different population. That's wonderful. I'm so glad you shared that with me. You know what? That was so good, and it's an empowering to her. It's like, you know what? That is something you need to share with a group of your women that you come in contact with on a regular basis. And if that's mm, the information yeah. you got from some other wise woman or someone else, share it continuously because that could be a barrier as to why Muslim women, African American women, may not breastfeed this because they don't know the baby's ripping off the covering and you know they're not able to really get comfortable. But look what you've done. And so I, I my other goal is then to inspire because I, you know, I think I'm gonna get to the transition of womanhood where it's like menopause and stuff but to inspire <laughs> other <laughs> to inspire other lactation consultants to come in and to actually you know really bring what they have to this because I, I, like our cycle this is one of those things we're just going to keep on doing so <laughs> yeah no right. I would I would love to hear like such a great example like you said about breastfeeding under the coverings you yeah, know and, and how important it would be to just start teaching that right off the bat for that particular mom so what are some things that you find for African-American moms? What are some things that you really wish that every lactation consultant knew when it comes to helping out their clients? Yeah, and, and I wanted to say it's, it's mainly about three things that really take part into the racial disparities when it comes to, to breastfeeding. One, it's race. So it is racial bias in our systems, in the medical system. I recently just spoke with a nurse friend who had an interaction with another nurse who said, um, you know, the black women, they don't feel pain as much and their skin is thicker than white women. And my nurse friend was like, no, that is incorrect. We all have the same amount of thickness and we all feel pain. So there's no oh. way that one race feels other. And, and that nurse was, you know, very adamant to say, this was in my books, just like what you said, this was in my books. This is what the book said, that black women, you know, they feel, they don't feel as much pain as white women. And sadly, you know, they call that white fragility. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I would be insulted. Like, how dare you? <laughs> I, we all feel that. And so still in that system, there's nurses who feel this way. There's doctors who feel this way. And this way. is, this is recent. This isn't like something from the 1950s. This no, is recent. This is recent. Wow. Is recent. And so, you know, changing that mindset as to, you know, we're just like, you know, and this is why I always related to our menstrual cycle, because for some women reason, when you talk to women in menstrual cycles, they kind of get it. It's like, oh, you know, it don't matter what color we are. We all kind of do that. Yeah, this is kind of the same thing. And so um, I think it's important that we have to recognize like, okay, there's bias in the medical community. Um, it's an understanding I, from my experience 
um, lactation consultancy, a young woman who may be of you know non-white, non-black, and non-white, and um, they just automatically think she's not going to understand the information I'm giving her. Uh, they, there's even an understanding that they may be lazy, that they don't want to breastfeed, um, or that it takes work, and that they're not really committed to doing this. And so, you know, when given the opportunity and the support that they need in, in the medical sense, for example. I have examples all the time now. For example, I have a, I had a young mom, 20, who was on her second baby and delivered this baby at 22 weeks. And um, I was coming to speak with her and I kind of let her know like, look, um, he's early, uh, but we could do this. What this is, is we're gonna be pumping a lot. You're gonna be coming to the hospital often, every chance you get, you're gonna hold him, you're gonna keep him skin to skin, and we're gonna grow this baby. Um, also, at this hospital, they offer donor milk, and you can even offer that to baby in addition to what you're already going to provide. And, and I really sat down with her and told her the honest truth. This is what this is. This is what's in the milk. The milk is that good. And so what our goal is to just fatten the baby up and get him engaged and everything. This 20-year-old girl, she went to that hospital every single day. She pumped every single day, multiple times a day. She literally grew that child, kangaroo, every day. She was there. And, you know, maybe she was the typical <laughs> young African-American girl, long eyelashes, long nails. When I saw her the first time, I said, ooh, honey, you know, he's little and fragile. You might have to cut those nails. She cut the nails off. And so, uh -huh. like, you know, this is what, this is the goal for this amount of time. And it was like, you and I are going to be in a relationship for this amount of time. And I got you. And so if you could do this, we, we could do it. Some days are going to be better than others. She did it. She did it. And she grew him and got him out. And he's exclusively breastfed. And, you know, she, he's at home. And, you know, the complications may be there, but they're not as severe. And so we know that benefit. It was a matter of really investing in this particular girl. Now I have someone who is an advocate for breastfeeding. They understand the value of it. And this is now going to be passed on, hopefully, as she goes along in her, you know, breastfeeding journey. Um, but we got to recognize that she wasn't getting that kind of one-on-one -on -one care. She wasn't getting that person that was going to be right there with her, regardless if it was her mother, her aunt, or anyone. It was like no one was investing that um, for this child. Um, and so there's medical bias and there's bias in the medical. Okay. And then after that is our employer. So uh, African-American women, low-income, you know, non-white women, they tend to work jobs where they are not all that supportive of breastfeeding. Let's say, for example, Uber. I had a mom who delivered an early baby. That's another issue that we have in our community. A lot of the women deliver very, very early. Their, their babies are already at risk, and then they introduce formula, which then is not going to produce really good outcomes. And so this particular mom delivered very early. Her baby, unfortunately, did not make it. But during the initiation, of breastfeeding and talking to the mom, her concern was going back to work. She worked for Uber and her car was on loan and she needed to return back to work. And so in two weeks, she got back in that car and drove. Um, she was trying hmm. to drive the next day. And so if we really, really, truly think about it, if I go to Aldi and I talk to the cashier and she says, I just had a baby. And I'm like, oh, wow, congratulations. Are you, how's breastfeeding going? I'm a lactation consultant. How's it going? Oh, he's two weeks. He's doing good. Two weeks. Oh, no, that's really early. There's no options for no six-month uh, paid leave. And there's no options for, you know, taking time off. The employer doesn't really care that you just had a baby. And we're telling mom to rest and to breastfeed and 
skin to skin, on demand, feed early. Um, the likelihood of those things really taking place for that particular mom are very slim to none. Even let's say the mom is a police officer and she does get time off. Now she wants to go back to work after maternity leave and there's nowhere to prompt. There's nowhere for her to do what she needs to do. And so um, we really need to take into consideration uh, the demands from the employers and not making the adequate accommodations and really being vested in women um, because birth could happen. Um, so it's like, makes you think twice. It's like I get in the Uber, this girl tells me she just had a baby and it's like, wow, you know, I would have taken three months off for my leave. And unfortunately she's back to work in three weeks, still healing. And so the employer is a big portion of this. Um, and then also community support. The community support is vital um, because a lot of the times when it comes to influencing change or uh, uh, integrating new information to a community, you're gonna have to break a lot of these myths and you're gonna have to break a lot of the things that are happening. One, you know, with our community, like for example, where I live in DC, uh, I can count on one hand how many grocery stores are available. On this side of DC, there's no hospital to have a baby at. Um, and so these things are important to really kind of um, recognize because if you're saying, you know, like, you know, just go to, you know, this particular place to get your breastfeeding support, um, how are they going to get there? And, you know, all these things are really important when it comes to, to breastfeeding. The other thing, so I noticed, like you say, you know, I read the rates on, you know, getting um, food stamps, EBT or WIC. So my experience with those is they push formula and, you know, they may have breastfeeding classes and supports, but a lot of the times because we kind of lax on, you know, yeah, you can kind of breastfeed if you want to, the option there is like, well, I better go ahead and get this formula or I better go ahead and get this, you know, uh, free stuff because what if it, you know, the breastfeeding doesn't work. But you know, you brought up COVID right now, and the conversations that I have now with African American moms um, is like, you got to breastfeed. I don't care how you get that milk in there, um, but right now, because of what's going on, I need that milk in that baby. I, I don't care how you get it, uh, Pump, Pan Express, Haka, whatever, all of that. I know now, but you know what I know is you got to get that milk in there because it's that important um, and it's needed now, um, and so. You know, I, I question, you know, just having the availability within the community of, of WIC and that, you know, the supplementing with the formulas. There are families who definitely need it, but how do we properly do that? Are we teaching how to properly administer formula? Um, and then also, you know, pace feeding. I teach all my mommies pace feeding. I, I try to give them options to understand that breastfeeding is so much more than just that milk. And so mm. um, it's so important, important. To, fo it's to focus on that, to let them know the options because you know, it, it could really put them in a position where it's like, well, I'm not producing all that I need to produce. And so just forget it. It's all, all or nothing. It's all over. And so, you know, we could do this. <laughs> what is the barrier? You know, I can look cute. I look cute breastfeeding. I don't know. So what? <laughs> <clears throat> what how, how are we going to do this? Because it's like you got to keep coming and knowing that there's going to be these barriers that are going to prevent this. Unlike, you know, um, maybe white women or maybe women who may have more money or more access where they can actually have rest and they can focus on breastfeeding all day and they don't have to worry about, you know, any other children or however they, you know, the supports that they need. So I'm, I'm hoping that other lactation consultants that would be listening would um, really look at the lens 
from all these different angles when approaching a, a, a African American woman or even a woman that's you know non Hispanic, non white. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, this is just a wealth of information, and I know I, I do have you know, a lot of lactation consultants or, or other healthcare providers, you know, who are interested in supporting breastfeeding moms that listen to this podcast. So I hope that for those of you that fall into those categories that are listening, really take what Maxine's saying to heart. I know I am. And, uh, you know, I just, I think a big message that I hear you saying is, you know, really the biggest thing that we can do is just not make assumptions, right? Not like you said, there's, there's some assumptions made about African-American women that they're, they're lazy or that they don't want to, or, you know, there's these other things, but what you're saying is no, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's the assumption is, is also part of the problem, but then if they have to go back to work at two weeks, like you just gave that example, I even had a client who had to go back at six days, I believe you. six I believe days. You. And I was I like, how? I mean, just physically, like, How? let's put breastfeeding aside, but physically, well, you just had a baby. That, it, it, it really makes, it, and that's concerning. It's very concerning. Like you said, those risk factors, right, that we are supposed to screen for. Maybe we can't treat, you know, preeclampsia or some of these other things, but we, we kind of need to be on the lookout for it. Retain placenta, whatever it is, right. you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, there's so many things that we need to be looking for just in the mom, let alone the baby. You know, we're this unique profession that has two patients, not just one. Yeah, and if, if we're not, you know, if we're not catching those things, they may not be seeing another healthcare provider for a while, which Very is scary. True. Very true. Um, I think those are why, a lot of the reasons why women end up stopping or they just, you know, a, a lot of women may not receive anticipatory guidance or guidance in the beginning, you know, as to what, how am I going to nutritionally feed this baby? And, you know, I've, I've talked to um, so many women that, you know, just in our field, sometimes the thought of breastfeeding and, you know, our, our lactation consultants run the gamut as to how it's like no formula ever in the house, don't you have a drop of it? And there's others who are like, yeah, you could do both. And then, you know, breastfeeding is here and there. And so sometimes, you know, just getting that information at that time could be a lot and overwhelming. And so, you know, I like to make sure that I'm hearing the concerns of the mom. And I've worked with so many different moms that, you know, um, let's say smoking. Smoking is something that moms, they do. And when we're talking about breastfeeding and mom is focused on smoking, it's like, I have to give her the information, but let me educate you about, you know, what breast milk is. Even in our community, we know it's like, you know, regardless if there's no disease and which one is better, breastfeeding, like the exam. If there's an option for anything else, generally breastfeeding is going to be the answer. <laughs> Formula will not be the answer. And so, um, you know, just making sure that we're, we're looking at it from a lens of, of positive. Like, how am I going to get them to reach this small goal of three days? All right, now three weeks, you know, and making sure that we're investing in that community because we know from the beginning that breastfeeding is the best start and that breastfeeding and breast milk and, you know, exclusive breastfeeding is giving that beginning process of really, you know, this human getting to the highest potential that they can be. And so, um, you know, naturally, I would just think like, you know, if I saw formula being pushed on uh, African-American mom, a Hispanic mom, that I would be kind of upset as a lactation consultant, take away the fact that I'm black, that, whoa, like, wait a minute, don't be pushing that on her. Let's see if we could get anything out of these boobs first. Um, mm -hmm. 
and making sure that I'm, I'm valuing the, the sanctihood of breast milk, <laughs> regardless of whoever it is. Um, yes. And then calling out those nurses and calling out those companies and letting them know, you know, just telling a black mom about the size of the baby's belly is enough for them to understand like, wow, this baby's not supposed to eat a two ounce bottle at one day old. <laughs> like right. letting them know that small information is like, oh, no wonder she stops at five and nails. You know, it's like, what? that was an easy bit of info, but everyone doesn't know. And so it makes the mind go, oh, the belly's little. Oh, it, you could take that information forever. You do, you know, so just small things like that and really incorporating those type of things. I think other lactation consultants that are listening, um, they can really be influential in that sense. It's like, she may not hear nothing else I'm saying. She only keeps asking me about the formula. Let me tell her how big the belly is. Let me show her how to pace feed. At least she can feed the baby slowly. Or, you know, it, it's, it's options. And it's a possibility that I'm going to look at this. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's so incredibly helpful. And, and yes, there are little things like that that can make such a huge impact and that are easy to remember and to pass on. So I, I absolutely love that you brought up the example of the of the belly size, you know, and I think kind of one of the things that you've touched on a lot is just really women are having a harder time in the healthcare system than men already. And then to throw on top of that being a black woman and, you know, going through probably already a culturally biased pregnancy and birth experience, and now you're entering into breastfeeding for any of the black mothers that may be listening to this episode, I would love for you to share what are what are the things that you would want to impart to them, either knowledge or where what are the best resources for them? Uh, I know you mentioned community and, and several things already, but if you could right. summarize it for any, you know, even just women of color in general, like what would you recommend for them to empower themselves and to you know, really get the support through breastfeeding and, and giving breast milk to their babies that they need? Um, I think that if mom, you know, if, uh, black moms are listening and they're really wanting to breastfeed or wondering how this is achievable or something that they can do, um, the first thing I always come from is that we've been doing this. Women, we've been breastfeeding from day one. Birthing, breastfeeding, nurturing, that's what we do. Um, and so there's a great power in that. And I know that, you know, in a situation where we just come off of months of lockdown and being, you know, um, isolated, that in the, in the terms of accessibility, that women are now turning to, this is what I have to do. I need to breastfeed and this is how I'm going to do it. And, and, and I think there's power in that um, because what that means now is that, you know, ideally, if, you know, there was a world uh, crisis like we were in, we can sustain a person um, and the things that you need within it. The other part I think I would tell black moms is that um, really learn about what's in uh, breast milk. And it's sad that we have to learn this. Um, I don't see cows really encouraging calves to take the milk, but breast milk has everything that's amazing in it. Stem cells, antibody cells, human growth hormone. There's actually a dollar value to breast milk. That there's women, you can actually, there are women who sell breast milk and there's a value, a dollar value to that. What does that mean? That means that um, one, there are things that formula can't recreate. And then two, is that something that we produce for free um, is something that will grow and nurture and, and monetary wise 
has a value within that child. And so um, I always like to make sure I let moms know this because there's a reason why I'm excited and passionate about it is because it's, the, it's like that. There are studies that are happening in New York. I had one of my first moms that I did my virtual consultations with, she was positive for COVID and she ended up uh, you know, being a part of this study and they're studying her breast milk and looking at the IgG and IgM antibodies. Like what? That's amazing. That puts even more value to it. So one, we have it in us, it's valuable um, and it's, it's necessary. Um, and then two, it is something that could be sustained with support. And the support that you're looking for is someone who is going to support you regardless of what your situation may be. So if that means you have to go back to work, you know, support is not judging you like, I thought you were gonna breastfeed. How are you gonna do that now? Instead of trying to really incorporate, you know, maybe you need a breast pump that plugs into the cigarette lighter in the car. I don't even know if they make cigarette lighters in the car anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I think just for charging purposes. Isn't it? That's crazy. It, the lighter part ain't even that. People don't even know what that is. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> you know, maybe you need that. Or, you know, just sitting down and having an opportunity to map out the pumping process for going back to work. Um, or maybe I need to pull the laws for going back to work. Um, maybe I need to pull the laws for the state and I need to educate the employer. Mm -hmm. You need some sort of like information because, you know, you want to go back to work. I need to support my family, but I do want to breastfeed and I do want to provide the right milk. And I may not be able to have baby suckle directly from the breast, but I could pump and I do get a pump from my insurance company. So it's like an opportunity now to kind of map this out and see how we're going to make this play out. Um, but that's really important. You're going to end up having a relationship with the lactation consultant um, because they just, your breasts are going to continue to do this. Um, and then just being mindful of the specific barriers that come to, to, to what you're going to be doing as a, a black breastfeeding mom, you know, covering up. And, you know, that unfortunately, because of our color of our skin, we tend to be targets. And so, you know, we could be breastfeeding at a park and someone could come and say something about indecent exposure. And so there, there you go with the laws again. And so now we have to pull the law. Um, or, you know, the, the company you work for has you pumping in the electrical room. <laughs> so that's like not safe. Um, what are the laws that come with that? Um, so just being mindful of those, those myths and those barriers. Here's the other thing. Companies that are sending samples in the mail. When you go to your WIC appointment, they ask you, you know, are you still breastfeeding? Do you need the formula? Um, even making sure that within the hospital that you're making a decision about where you birth. Well, if you go to birth somewhere and you're saying, I would like the golden hour with my baby, you know, that's one is the terminology where it's like, uh-oh, she knows. And two, what is the hospital policy? Um, does it say skin to skin, which it should, is always, you know, number one, and that's what we're going to do. Or if it's like in order for us to do our assessments, we have to take the baby from the mom to the nursery. If that's not what you're in line with, then that's not the place you go to birth at. Um, making sure that you're aware of what your your uh, rights and the things that are happening within this place beforehand really does empower you to make these decisions that I've been saying over and over. I'd like to breastfeed. I like to breastfeed. Um, if it's not going the way it needs to go, then what are the other options? Um, just being prepared for those things and making sure that, you know, you have adequate, educated people that are going to be able to to support them in, the, in their decision-making, regardless of whatever that is. Um, and then as a lactation consultant, you know, you gotta have some tricks in your bag. Um, if you haven't touched black boobies, I'm glad you said that about uh, 
the pictures. I had my last baby and um, there aren't any African-American breastfeeding pictures. And I got a photographer to come and take pictures of me breastfeeding my, my son. And it was really great because one, he never did it. And it was wonderful because I had another lactation consultant who was uh, working with me and she's not black. And she was just really intrigued by all of the things that we were discussing. And so um, normalizing this within our community as if something, you know, this is something that uh, we just do. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's some good stuff I can leave with. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And, and I have to say, yes, definitely for you lactation consultants out there, doctors, whoever, is listening, yes, like touch some black boobies. They're different. They're different. Um, I do see generally that, you know, I, at least in the clients that I've had that have been African-American, their nipples are generally a lot larger than the white women that I work with. And if you are used to always latching a baby with a mom with small nipples, you know, you, you got to kind of branch out and, and do it with a mom with larger nipples. And so there's there's definitely things out there knowing how to recognize symptoms of, you know, mastitis and all those things. It's so important. And we need to share that as a community. And I'm so glad you're bringing light to this because I know there's always more to learn and especially about cultures that are different from my own. And I feel like I learned so much and I have to say your passion, your knowledge, anyone who gets to work with you, as their lactation consultant or, or gets education from you or whatever other capacity you're doing is really, really lucky. Like you are, what you shared on this episode, I really want people to know, like, this is, this is what an amazing lactation consultant looks like, Maxine, and she can do virtual visits. And I would encourage you guys to reach out to her. I'll link up all her stuff in the show notes. Um, but Maxine, you are just a wealth of information. I feel like you just have such an appreciation for breastfeeding and breast milk and what it can do for the moms and babies out there in the world. And just your cultural perspective has brought so much to this conversation. And I just thank you so much today for sharing everything you shared. I feel like we're even just scratching the surface here, but even the piece you said about having photos of your son taken breastfeeding, that is so important. I cannot tell you how hard it is to find images of breastfeeding, like from stock photos or things of anything other than white women and babies. It's incredibly hard. So thank you for contributing to that as well. Awesome. Well, thank you uh, for being here. And uh, like I said, I'll link up everything about how to get in touch with Maxine. If you want to follow her on Facebook, she's got some amazing information there and you can book an appointment with her there as well. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.